again, welcome to Cavern Chaperone Springs. My name is Giovanni. Hey, for anybody who's new here, welcome. Um, so tonight, uh, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 15. If you want to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 15. Um, but before we get started, um, let's pray. Father, we thank you because you... Um, you are our inheritance, Lord. You are uh, what we live for, what we breathe for, why we breathe. And so tonight, Lord, as we dive into your word, I just pray that you may speak to our hearts, speak to us in whatever place we're in tonight, Lord, uh, that you may just um, stir up your spirit within us, Lord. And that we may uh, know your will, that we may know your love, and that we may walk out of here transformed, not by this teaching of the Lord, but rather by your word. Um, Lord, um, we love you, and uh, we are grateful for the opportunity of uh, just being able to come together and just uh, study your word together. So Lord, bless this evening, and... Uh, and uh, just allow us to be here, present with you, Lord, as you are with us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. How many people here have worn glasses before? As you guys can see, I have glasses on. But this hasn't always been... I haven't always worn glasses. So, one of my coworkers walked into work and she had... Uh, she had glasses on, and so um, they were some fancy glasses. So I asked her, oh, nice glasses. When when did you get glasses? And uh, I didn't know you needed glasses. I was pretty surprised. And so um, she said, oh, I don't. I got these online, and I just like the look, so I put the glasses on, <laughs> which I thought to be interesting because I don't know about you guys, but whoever wears glasses or worn glasses before, but glasses are not the most comfortable thing, right? I mean, they've gotten better over the years. I remember the first pair of glasses I got, right? They were metal. They were heavy. They were just annoying. I didn't even know how to wear them, but I wore them anyway because I, 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 you know, I needed them to see. Um, my last, my, my last um, optometrist visit that I had, um, I had had my glasses for about four or five years at the time. And uh, I decided, let me just go get checked out because uh, I just kind of wanted a new pair of glasses. They were getting kind of old, cracking in places. So I went and I got checked. If I'm going to get new glasses, pay for new ones, might as well get checked, right? And so when the results came, um, he, said, he said, hey, you don't really have to switch glasses. There's only a slight change in your vision. It's not that much. It's not that much. And so if you want, you can stick with the glasses that you have. Of course, I didn't want to do that, right, because I wanted to go with new glasses. Uh, so after doing the visual test and everything, which how many of you guys can agree with me? Those visual tests can be straining on your eyes, right? They try to make you read words that you're never going to read or letters that you're never going to read. Not that distance, and I try that hard to read. Why not just get closer, right? But you have to go through the process even though it's difficult. Um, so um, I, they said, your glasses will be ready in a couple weeks here. Uh, come and pick, come by and pick them up. 
and I was excited, right? I was anxiously waiting the two weeks. So I go to pick up my glasses, and uh, um, I went on my break from work. So I go to pick up my glasses. I take my glasses off because you got to try them on there, and I put the new glasses on. And when I put the new glasses on, I was so surprised because what the optometrist had told me was that I only had a slight change, and it was insignificant. But when I put my glasses on, you guys ever put new glasses on? It feels like you're kind of like walking kind of weird or something like that, or everything just looks magnified. I was transformed by the experience, even though the doctor said, uh, or the optometrist said that, he, that, that I only need a slight change. And so I think about these situations, these two situations that I brought up. And the one situation, my coworker, she had glasses on, right? She had the look, but she only really benefited from the aesthetics. Why was that? Because she didn't go through the process of actually checking her eyes, right? For myself, I actually paid the optometrist or the insurance, right? Paid for my glasses and then waited patiently for my glasses to arrive, correct? So I went through that whole process, and in the end, it was a transformational experience, right? It was a transformational experience. So why do I bring this up? I bring this up because tonight in chapter 15, we're going to see of a tribe that actually went through the process, right? And the tribe that I'm talking about is, you guessed it, the tribe of Judah, right? What we're going to see in chapter 15 is that they're getting their inheritance, right? They're casting lots and getting their inheritance. And when this happens, it's not just happening because they decided to aesthetically look like people of God. But rather, if we go back into the chapters of Joshua and exhaustively into the chapters of Exodus, what we see is that they walk with God faithfully, right? They walk with God faithfully. One of the things we ended, I don't know that we ended last chapter, was the Caleb received the, 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 the city of Hebron, right? And we said that Hebron meant fellowship. That's what Hebron means, fellowship. And so I think it's so important because a lot of times we like to say that the process and the transformation takes faith. And I'm not here to tell you that's wrong. I think it's completely correct to say that it takes faith to go through the process, to go through the, tra- through, through the steps of transformation. But what I, what I am here to tell you is that that faith comes from fellowship. That faith comes from fellowship. And so the title for tonight's teaching is going to be Fellowship Which Transforms. Fellowship Which Transforms. So we'll go through the chapter and then I'll point out some things and then I'll explain why uh, about this fellowship which transforms. So let's start reading in chapter 15. Chapter 15 verse 1 says, so this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah according to, to their families. So notice here that they're talking about a lot. So 
in the Old Testament, what they would do is they would cast lots to decide things. And what a lot of commentaries say is basically that in casting lots, basically like rolling die or dice, right? Um, it, it was kind of like that, except they used stones and stuff like that, right? Because dice weren't, and they were probably sinful too back then, but whatever. Um, but here we see that um, they're casting lots. What we're going to see later is that they're not casting lots, but they're giving, they're giving the inheritance, okay? And what I want to know about here is that when they're casting lots, they're basically deciding what land they're going to get. They're getting a big overview, and this is where we're going to get a full description. So, in the casting of lots. But what, commenta- what I was going to say is commentators were saying is that they did this, but the Lord, knowing that the Lord was in control. So um, a lot of times uh, the question comes up is, oh, well, if they cast the lots in the Old Testament, do we gamble, right? Do we gamble? Um, no, because this is different. Uh, they cast the lots as a commandment from God, as a command from God in order to decide God's will. And God was in control of all of it. Right? Usually, gambling in our culture is not like that. It's not, God, you decide what, and I'm going to just, no, it's like, I'm going to just throw my life away and see if something comes up kind of thing, right? And at least that's where, where it gets to, right? Um, but what we see is that they're casting lots here for the land. This week, I was uh, doing some devo, my devos, and uh, something stood out to me in, uh, in, in Psalm 47, because I'm going through the Psalms, and something stood out to, to me in Psalm 47, something about inheritance. In Psalm 47, the psalmist says that the Lord chooses our inheritance. The Lord chooses our inheritance. I don't know if you guys knew that, or if you guys had ever read that before, but to me, it came as a surprise, because it was so interesting because a lot of times in the way that we live our lives, we want to choose our inheritance, right? We want to choose where we're going to retire. We want to choose what kind of uh, retirement we're going to have. We want to choose, and, and we think of retirement as that's our inheritance, right? That's what we, we've worked our whole lives towards. But what, what, when Psalm 47 speaks, speaks of the psalmist in Psalm 47 speaks of that, what it does, it changes or shifts the perspective from I'm choosing the way of my of my of my life, where my life is going to go, to the Lord. It's in the Lord's hands, really. It goes back kind of to the casting lots. Like it's in the Lord's hands, right? Our lives are in the Lord's hands. And a lot of us know that, but are we living in that way? Do we know that every single step, every single thing that happens in our lives, the Lord has allowed in our lives. Every decision that we've made that's been bad, the Lord has allowed us to make that decision, right? Nobody, nobody really like, would like to be a robot, right? For the Lord to say, you go here, you go there, that, that's not an experience with God, right? Rather, the Lord allows us to choose and make decisions because he wants us to experience him in the situation. And so when I read about the Lord choosing our inheritance, it really spoke to me about this, this passage or this chapter. Because what we're going to read right now is we're going to read the boundaries, the boundaries uh, that are given to the tribe of Judah. Basically the land that's going to be given to them, but 
they're giving boundaries. So then let's read the boundaries, and then what I'll do, I'll explain a little more about this. So in verse 1, again, it says, um, the, se- the second half says, The border of Edom at the wilderness of Sin, southward was the extreme southern bo- boundary. And their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. Then it went out to the southern side of Keresh Barnea, passed along Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around to Karkah. From there, it passed toward Asman and went out to the brook of Egypt, and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. The east border was the Salt Sea, Far as the mouth of the Jordan, and the border on the northern quarter began to at the bay of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan. The border went up to Beth Hogla and passed north of Beth Areva, and the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then the border went up toward the bear from the valley of Acre, and it turned it turned northward toward Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Adumim. Which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued toward the waters of En Shemesh and ended at En Rohel. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim northward. Then the border went around from the top of the hill to the fountain of the water of Nephtoah and extended to the cities of Mount Ephraim. And the border went around to Baela, which is Kirjath, Jerem. Then the border turned westward from Baela to Mount Seir, passed along the side of the Mount Jerem to Timnah. And the border went out to the side of Ekron northward. Then the border went around Shikron passed along the Mount Bela and extended to Jabneel and the border under the sea. The west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. This is the boundary of the children of Judah all around, all around according to their families. So we see here, that's a lot of borders, right? Who likes boundaries here? Some people do. <laughs> if we're really honest with ourselves, right? We don't like boundaries, right? Um... I hear so many friends, so many Americans, really, uh, just want more and more land, right? Like, and, and, and I'm, I'm uh, at fault of that as well. I tell my wife all the time, can we just buy, like, this large piece of land where we could just have, like, animals and a farm and all these other things? I grew up in the city, guys. I don't belong in, <laughs> in any farm or anything like that. But, but this is a, a, a thing we have, right? Not only as American people, we, we say we like boundaries, but we really don't. We just like boundaries to keep people out. But for us, we don't want no boundaries. So if we look at history, we see people who took over, right, who begin to be successful in taking over, uh, say, nations or whatever it may be over land. And we see that it just kept going and going and going. And it, it almost became like an addiction, right, of taking over the whole world. It's kind of kind of what it is, right? And, and that's kind of the economy or the culture that we live in, right? We, we, we don't want boundaries. We just want to keep going and, and, and keep expanding and keep going and stuff. But we see here that the Lord sets boundaries for, for the, the tribe of Judah. And I ask myself, too, because you think of Judah, 
you think of the Israelites, where they came from. They came from Egypt, right? And they, they, they traveled and they were in the wilderness. The Lord could have given them the whole world if he wanted, right? They could have, he, they could have received the, all the land that they wanted. But we see here that instead of doing that, what happens is that they receive boundaries. They receive a specific piece of land, specifically Judah receives a specific piece of land and then gets boundaries, right? Doesn't that seem interesting to you guys? Because to me it does. Because if it was God, he'd just, you know, do anything. But we see here that he give, gives boundaries. And I think it's so important because a lot of times we think about God's promises, about what God has promised to us, and we think, uh, oh, there's no boundaries to what God has given us, right? But can I tell you that God sets those boundaries because he wants to take care of us, even when we don't see it? Because a lot of times we don't see it, right? Restrictions are a big no-no for us, right? God saying no to us is like God slapping us in the face. I don't know if you guys ever feel like that, right? God says no, and you're like, wait, I can't believe you just said no to this. But I'm trying to do good. Are we really? But what we see is that he gives them boundaries. And what I see from this text is that he doesn't give them boundaries just to say, well, I don't want you to take all over the world, all, all over the world. But rather, if you guys notice, and it was a lot of text to read, um, if you guys notice, if we go back through the text, in um, every, there, there's four boundaries, right? There's the north, there's the east, there's the west, and there's the south, right? And every boundary is basically a boundary of water. Just think about this. When they crossed the Jordan River, they, the, the, the Lord opened the, the, the Jordan in order for them to be able to cross it. If it wasn't for the Lord opening the Jordan, I don't know if they would have all made it. I don't know if they were all made. I was watching a show where um, they're uh, basically doing the Oregon Trail back in the 1800s or whatever. And, um, and, and they, they, they start off like with 60 people. And as they're crossing these rivers um, with all their stuff, and they're, just, they're smaller rivers. They're not like huge rivers. Uh, by the time they get to the place where they want to go, which is, they didn't get to Oregon, by the time they get to the place which they want to go, they end up with like five people. Why? Because a lot of them died in the wilderness. A lot of them died, drowned in, in the rivers. And so it makes me think about Israel, the Israelites and, and the biblical accounts and how the Lord opened that. And without that, that river would have been a defense system for whatever city was on the other side. So I think about where we're at here, and it says, uh, I'm just going to read real quick, like sections. It says the border ended at the sea, the east border was at the salt sea, and then um, at the sea of the mouth of the Jordan, then at the sea, and then at the great sea. So it just continues to talk about these borders as being bodies of water, which even though the Israelites might not have seen it, which some of them didn't, it was really to protect them. It was really not to keep them in that section, but to protect them from other, um, other nations. And so if we remember um, correctly, two and a half tribes decided to stay where? Where did two and a half tribes stay? 
They didn't cross the Jordan, right? They said, we want this land here. This land looks good for our pasture, so we're going to stay here. So they stay on the northern side of, of the Jordan, which means um, fast forwarding down in history, a year, hundreds of years later, what happens to that nation is that they, they are the first ones to fall to the Assyrians. They're the first ones to fall to the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were, were vicious people. They would skin people alive and hang them. That's some gruesome stuff. And that's who the Israelites fell to from the northern kingdom. Because they were on the other side of where God had wanted them to be. But not the nation of Judah. Not the nation. Not the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah has been faithful since has been faithful all the way through and what we see is that they cross over and they attack the land and they start to take over and so then in next verses here we see in verse 13 we see Caleb again you guys remember Caleb right and Caleb is 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 just victorious he's just faithful he's a servant he he loves God and he's he doesn't care that he's 80 something years old he's fighting giants and not only fighting them but defeating them right yeah that's awesome i hope at 85 i'm doing that verse 13 says now to caleb the son of jephunneh he gave his share among the children of judah according to the commandment of the lord joshua namely kerjoth arba which is hebron arba was the father of anak caleb drove out Three sons of Anak from there. So we see that not only does he drive out, uh, does he say, I'm going to go to the land. But then there's three that he drives out, three giants. And he says, and their names are Shasai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Remember, these were giants, and all their kids were giants. And so... I mean, we always, uh, we're always mesmerized with David, right, and, and the, the, the giant that he took down. But I think of Caleb, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, 85 years old, and he takes down all these giants? That is amazing, right? That is amazing. And, yeah, it was faith, but it was faith that was rooted in fellowship with the Lord, right? And it changed his life. It changed his life. So then in... Um, verse 15, it says, Then he went up from there to, inha- to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly the name of Debir was Kirjath Sefer. Verse 16, And Caleb said, He who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give, I will give Ashes, my daughter, as wife. So Othaniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Ashes, his daughter, as wife. Now, it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for the field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She answered, Give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So we see here, and there's a lot of uh, talk, especially in our culture nowadays, of, um, of basically... Uh, Caleb giving his daughter over to, to somebody who's going to take over this land, right? To somebody who's going to take over this land. Um, and, and as I was studying this and praying, and I don't have any kids yet, but um, when, someday when I do, I, 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 I hope that I'm like Caleb here. 
And, and not, not that I'm going to be giving my daughter away, right? That was a different culture, obviously, right? And, and uh, different times as well, different people. But I, I want to note some things here about that. One, he's giving his daughter not just to anyone, right? He's giving his daughter to Nathaniel. You guys know who Nathaniel is? Nathaniel in the book of Judges. Uh, so the, the book of Joshua is basically all the victories of the Israelites. But the book of Judges is the complete opposite. It's like black and, or white and black, I guess. Um, but it's the complete opposite because in Judges, what we see is that, that everybody did according to what they saw in their eyes, what they, what they thought was right. Right? So basically, what I think is right is different than what somebody else thinks is right, and somebody else, and everybody's just doing whatever's right. It kind of sounds like our culture, right? It's like, you, whatever you think, that's, that's what's right. That doesn't work, right? And we see in the book of Judges that it's like an epic fail for, for the Israelites because for 400 years, they continue in this cycle of like, cry to the Lord, the Lord saves them because he raises a judge, and then they fall back into their idolatry, and it continues and continues on, right? And then that's what happens. But Nathaniel in the book of Judges is described as this godly, uh, fearing, uh, God-fearing man. He, he's, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God. And I don't know if you guys know this, but in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was only given to people who were chosen to take on a task that God would, would, would put on them. So for him to be filled with the Spirit of God says a lot about Othaniel. And so we see one that he gives, uh, that, that Caleb gives, is going to give her to a, a man who is a godly man. And so, like I said, I don't have any kids, but when, if, if the Lord gives me daughters, this is how my, what I want my heart to be. Why? Because what he's doing is he's not just saying yes to anybody, but he's rather saying, hey, this is a godly man. This is a God-fearing man who is not only a God-fearing man, but he's, putting to, he's willing to put his, test to the, to his faith to the test, right? I don't know. I'm talking backwards today. Uh, but he's willing to put his faith to the test, right? His relationship with God, he's saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to take over this, right? Because he wasn't calling him to go uh, take over a Dairy Queen or anything like that, right? It was like, go take over giants. You know, go take over giants. If you take over giants, then you can have my daughter. Why? Because one, he's a godly man. Two, he's willing to, to fight. He's willing to put his faith to the test. And so I think that's awesome. And, and I know that a lot of people like to see the negative side of it. Well, he gave his daughter. It doesn't seem like his daughter's opposed to it. If anything, she's encouraging and she's asking for more, right? She trusts her dad. She trusts her father. And so we see that he does, he drives, he, he basically takes over the city. He receives her as his wife. And then she's a wise woman, right? She says, I mean, I, I, I think women are very wise, right? My wife is wise. Like sometimes I do the dumbest things and she's like, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. And I'm like, oh, you're right, honey. That's why the Lord gave me you, Right? And so we see here that he takes the land, but she says, hey, we need water. We can't just have land, right? We also need fresh water because if we, we have land but no water, then it's just a waste of land. So then she goes back, and, and, and it says a lot about Caleb because she goes back to him not in fear, but rather knowing that Caleb will provide anything 
that she asks. Anything that she asks, she, he'll provide. And so he does. So he, he doesn't only give her one springs of water, but he gives her the upper and the lower. He says, it's yours. And so he gives it over. So we see that. We'll come back to this and we'll touch upon some other things because it's going to be like some of my last points that I'm going to give you guys. Um, but moving on to verse 20, here we see the inheritance is actually being given to them, right? And how many of you guys know that just because something is given to us doesn't mean it's ours, right? The Lord gives us promises, but that doesn't mean they're, they're automatically ours, right? There, there's, there's things that need to happen, right? It's like saying I have faith, but there's no work to it, right? James would say faith without works is what? It's dead, right? Faith without works is dead. And so, yes, the, the, the faith in the, the inheritance that the Lord gives them, it's true. It's there. The Lord is good, and he wants to bless us and give us. But there needs to be a work side to that faith that comes from that fellowship with him, right? And so what we're going to see next is that he gives them the inheritance. And um, you're going to excuse me, but I'm not going to try to read through all these names. One, because I might bore you. Two, because I'm going to butcher most of them, even though I practiced over and over. Um, but uh, <laughs> so I am going to point out some things here. Because when I read all these names and the different places where they're at, what it speaks to me is that when we're pursuing God, right, when we're pursuing God for those promises that he's going to give us, there's many things that can be obstacles in that walk, right? Because it's a process, right? It's, yeah, Lord, you gave me these promises, but the process looks like this, and I'm going to step out in faith and work for it, right? Out of out of salvation we work we don't work for salvation right we're working on our fellowship with god and the blessing of that is that he gives us these promises right but there's some things that can get in our ways how many of you guys know that um when it comes to actually getting busy right and doing the things that you need to do that's when all these obstacles come up right that's when all these obstacles come up right all of a sudden you're thirsty right all of a sudden, you forgot to do this one thing. How many of you guys can agree with me that it's even more when we want to get into fellowship with God, right? When we want to sit down and read the Word. Our alarm didn't go off, or we sit down and read the Word and somebody calls us, like, you haven't called me in years. Why are you calling me now, right? Or something falls, or whatever it may be. You fill in the blank. I don't have kids, so I don't have that. I have dogs, and they stay pretty still. So, actually, that was a little different this morning because my, my dog was a little impatient to get out of bed. So, he was kind of doing all kinds of crazy things. And we have a second dog, and the second dog was just hanging out, just like sleeping. And my other dog was like eating his leg, and not literally eating it, but you know, and scratching and all these things. And, and so, yeah, so. All these things get in, in the way as obstacles, right? And so here in verse 20, it says, This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. So um, it, it's going to name a bunch of names, like I said. But some of the things I want to point out are in verse 21, 33, 48, and 61. First, in 21, what it's going to name is going to be the cities, right? 
And I thought this very interesting, right? So in 21 is the cities. In 33, it says lowland. I don't know, if you have a different version, Bible version, it might be different. In 48, it says mountain country. And in 61, it says wilderness, right? So it it focuses in on what they're getting, each by family. So in 21, it says cities. What's an obstacle? Uh, What's the obstacle that, that, that relates to this? When we think about city, what do we think about? Feel free to yell it out. Somebody said busy. Yeah, busyness, right? I, like I said, I grew up in the city, and it was a busy life. I mean, I'm busy up here, but city life is just busy. There's so many people, so many things happening at the same time. It's just busy, right? So one of the things to watch out for as we're pursuing the Lord in relationship is busyness, right? Because there's nothing like working too much, doing too much, right? And just to give you a little, uh, uh, an idea of, of, of uh, working too much, according to the Bible, what I think the Bible says, working too much is working more than six days a week, right? Because the Bible calls us to work how many days? Six days a week, right? Some of you guys are hesitant to say it. It's okay if you're not working six days a week. There's, there's different types of work. It's not just work at your job. But the Bible calls us to work six days and rest, what, one, right? So, um. In, in, in the busyness of life, um, I was talking to my wife, and, and, and we both agree that one of the things that happens when we get busy is that we start to um, um, sacrifice our time with the Lord, right? That's usually the first thing that goes, right? Because, oh, the Lord loves me. He's not going to say anything, right? Or I could just do it later, and later never happens, right? And so it's so important that as we're seeking this fellowship with the Lord as the, we're, we're, we're um, experiencing the process and the promise uh, on our way to the promises that God has for us that we don't forget about our fellowship with him. Because I can tell you, the times where I've said, where I've said oh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to wait till later, or I'm not going to do it today, and I'm going to be okay, I was not okay. And it became a, a habit. And it became, and, and it took me to a place where I felt empty, where I felt dry. And then I asked the Lord like, like the Israelites did in the book of Judges. So what is going on? I cry out to the Lord, and, and he says, you, you haven't been spending time with me. You haven't been getting in, your, in the word. Why? Because that, is, that fellowship is where everything comes from, our, our, our energy, our strength to continue on. Verse 33, it says the lowland. Know that when we're in the process we're going to experience valleys, right? The psalmist says that he experienced valleys, right? How many of you guys know that David, he was, it seemed like he was always in valleys. He was always in valleys. But in Psalm 23, such an awesome passage where he says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Right? You are with me, he says. So in the valleys, when we're in that low place, let's remember that he's still there. God doesn't stay up high in the sky and just hover, but rather he's there with us in the valleys. And let not, that not distract us from what's important because that's what the enemy wants. He wants to distract us in the valleys. He wants to distract us in the busyness. The next thing is he wants to distract us in the mountain country, right, in the mountain country. We got to watch out for these because these are really uh, tempting, right? We climb a mountain and we get to the top, right? And when we get to the top, we feel what? 
We feel like heroes, right? We pat ourselves in the back. We're like, great. Like, we did it. Whatever it may be, whether it be a promotion at work, whether it may be a raise, or whether it may be that, I don't know, uh, you got a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or, or your, your, your wife complimented you, right? Something. And we get to the mountaintops, and a lot of times what we tend to do out of, out of, out of our nature is like pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, look at me, you know, like I'm doing so well. Let's not forget who, who gives us strength to climb that mountain when we're at that mountaintop. Okay, let's be careful with that obstacle. And, and when we get to the mountaintop, let's do it as the patriarchs did and praise the Lord in the mountaintops, praise the Lord in the valleys, and praise the Lord in the busyness because he is the Alpha and the Omega, right? And then the last thing here in this section is 61 is the wilderness, right? The wilderness. This was an interesting one because the wilderness reminds me of wandering. The Israelites wandering in the, in, in the desert for 40 years. Why did they wander in the desert for 40 years? Because they doubt it, right? They doubt it. That's why they wander in the desert for 40 years. Now, am I saying that because we doubt sometimes the Lord's going to have us wandering for 40 years? I hope not because then I'll really be 85 years old. But that's, that, that's not, I don't think that's what he does. But um, one of the obstacles we have to be careful with is, is the doubt. Because there's, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. But when we get to the doubt to a place where it starts to impact other people, it starts to impact our walk with him, then it, it, it becomes a problem. It can become a, a problem. Because what doubting does, if we allow it to set in, is it basically puts uh, um, a, a screen between us and God. It, it, it distorts our view of who God is and what God really wants for our lives, and we get lost. And so what we do is, like the Israelites, start going in circles, right? Start going in circles. Why do I keep struggling with this? Why do I keep struggling with this? Because we're going in circles, right? Why do I keep falling in the same situation? And then the victim mentality comes. Why? Because it's a story or a view of God. We're not victims, right? We're not victims, we're victorious in him, right? And then finally here in 63, it says, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah, cannot drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. So we see that they weren't able to finish the job. They either got comfortable or they decided, hey, you know, it's not worth it to continue to to, to pursue this line. We already have what we want. A lot of commentators uh, say the Israelites got comfortable with the Canaanites living in the land because they could use them as slaves, right? So basically crutches. But what we see is that down the road, the, the role flips, and instead of they being the leaders, them being the leaders, what happens is that people come over and eventually they lose the land. They lose the land because of their idolatry and all these other things. But what we see here is that we need, in order for us to overcome these obstacles and to not end up in a place where the Israelites ended up, we need a fellowship that transforms. We need a fellowship that transforms. So how do we know that we have a fellowship that transforms? And I'm going to go through, two, through three things really quick uh, to finish here. All right, we're going to go back to verse 13, and I want to point out something about the things that Caleb did. Because I think Caleb uh, did everything out of faith, but that faith came from a fellowship which transformed them. A fellowship which transformed them. And so here, um, 
the first thing that he does is that he, uh, uh, how we know that we have a fellowship, a fellowship that transforms is because fellowship that transforms drives out. Fellowship that transforms drives out. And I know it's been, oh, it's been on that screen for a while, but fellowship that transforms drives out. Um, okay. Anyway, it drives out. You guys know what it is. Uh, why do I say that? So we see here in uh, verse 13 that he drove out uh, Anak, right, uh, and took over Hebron, drove out Anak. But then he drives out the three, he drives out the, the three giants, right, three giants. And so um, three giants that I, I, can, uh, I can think of in my life and everybody's life that can resemble everybody's life is what John in 1 John says, right? In 1 John chapter 2, he says three giants. You guys remember what, the, what those are? Pride of life, right? Lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes, right? Three giants. And not that that's what those three giants mean, but when I was going through the text and I was reading this, and I was, it convicted me because I was like, am I driving out the giants in my life? Because I guarantee you that... One, like we as a body of Christ are, are struggling with one of those here, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, right? Whether it be the pride in our, in, in, in our relationship with the Lord, in our relationship with our wife or husband, right? The lust of the flesh. And lust of the flesh is not just like sexual. It, it can also be uh, uh, just for anything material, really, Right? Like, your desires, are they something that God wants in your life, right? Are they something that the Lord is bringing in your life? And so we see that a fellowship that trans, which transforms constantly works at driving out the giants in our lives. And Caleb, did, Caleb did that in his life. And I think it's so awesome that the Lord puts it as an example for us. Because a lot of times we can think like, oh, well, you know, Caleb was this young, strapping man, whatever. But he wasn't, right? Remember we said last time he was 85 years old. And he said, hey, I will go. I'm going to drive those giants out of there. And I want to claim that inheritance. Like, do we want the promise of God in our lives? And if we do want them, are we willing to step into that and, and put the work in? Because that's a fellowship. That's a relationship with the Lord. That's what it does. It, it drives out those giants. Secondly, here, we see that once he's done driving out these giants, right, he not only does it by himself, but then he calls on the, or he calls on the help of Nathaniel, right? Not really specifically to him, but he just calls on help, right? And so a fellowship that, which transforms also allows people in. How many of you guys know that we're in a culture that... Uh, loves to do things on their own, right? Loves to say, I did this. I'm a, a, one of the biggest phrases uh, nowadays is, I'm a safe, self-made man or I'm a self-made woman, right? I did things on my own. I built my business from the ground up. I did this, right? Where are we at with that? Because that's not the God of the Bible. That's not what the Lord brings. As a matter of fact, one of the biggest downfalls of the tribes of Israel was that they began to fight amongst themselves, was that they began to look for number one, right? That they began to look for themselves rather than for the rest, 
the whole time that they're in the wilderness and coming into the promised land, that whole time, the Lord is taking care of them. And they're feeding off the Lord the whole time and being dependent on him. But the moment they get into the land, what do they do? They think of number one. And they say, I did it. I got myself here. I took over the land, right? And what happens? From that moment, they begin to fall apart. Guys, we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Notice it, it calls us singular. It calls us singular. It doesn't say plural like we're many. And in that way, it's okay to let people in. I do want to point out that um, notice that he allows somebody who's godly into his life, right? Because a lot of times we think, well, we're just supposed to let people into our lives. I can tell you you're going to get burnt out that way. And you're going to get burnt and burnt out. I've done it before and just let anybody into my life and guess what happened. Because I wanted to help, you know. And you get burnt that way. And then you don't want to let anybody into your life. But guess what? Even Jesus let people into his life. Jesus being fully God and fully human, he chose how many disciples? He chose 12 disciples to come in. He invited them in to, 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 to his, uh, um, I want to say darkest secret. I don't think Jesus had any dark secrets, but to intimacy, right? He invited them in. And I think we as a body should be doing the same, especially on the mountain, guys. I don't know if you guys know, but people come up here to retire and not see anyone. I'm sorry if it offends you, but I've been here for seven years now, and that's kind of the experience I've had. And, and I, I was at fault as well for that for a while until the Lord said, hey, you're not going anywhere. This is your home. Make community. Make relationships allow people in because you can't make it on your own jesus didn't do it on his own why should we right and then the last thing here last thing here is uh is basically that uh caleb gives his daughter to nathaniel and that then he gives to his daughter the the springs of water right so Fellowship that tra- which transforms gives without ceasing. And Paul likes to say pray without ceasing. I would say give without ceasing goes hand in hand with that. Gives without ceasing. Why? Because Caleb gave his daughter, right? He had already given her a husband. He had already given her land. And then she comes and asks for more. And what happens? He gives, right? So he gave his daughter. He gave his daughter. And then as a father... He gave to his daughter, right? And so I think it it really resembles what our relationship should look like. Because our fellowship with Christ, our fellowship with God, what it should push us to is to give. And I'm not just saying monetarily. I mean, we should be tithing. We should be giving offering. We should be giving what the Lord has entrusted us with. But I'm talking more than that. We should give of ourselves, right? When was the last time you gave yourself to someone? Or a group of people. When I say that is, uh, uh, when was the last time you served somebody? You met somebody's need. You listened to someone, right? Because listening is so important. Talking is important, but listening is even more important, right? When was the last time we did that? The other night, um, we were, I usually come home and me and my wife will throw on a show or something while we eat dinner. And um, I just felt like the Lord was nudging me. And he was saying, like, hey, what are you doing? 
Like you're supposed to be leading this family. What are you doing? And so I felt like where the Lord was leading me was to turn off the TV, turn off the show, sit down, talk to your wife, and listen to her. Why? Because it meant that I had to give of myself, right? Because I wanted to watch the show. It was a good show. I won't tell you which one it is. I don't want you guys to binge. <laughs> it's not healthy to binge. I think it's unbiblical, actually. <laughs> but ultimately, um, I, I, I turned it off, and I listened to it. It was, the, the, it was an amazing night. We had some great conversations. But I had to give of myself, right? And what the Lord gave back was even greater than this, than this show that I, I can watch anytime because now it's, it's all there, right? And so a fellowship which transforms is going to drive out. A fellowship which transforms is going to allow people in. And ultimately, it's going to give without ceasing. Meaning as we give of ourselves, the Lord replenishes that. The Lord fills us. And in that, we walk through this process called life, our life, and to the promises of God. He's not done yet. And he's got more for us. It doesn't matter who you are. But we have to be willing to have that fellowship with him. If we're going to grow in that faith and be like Kayla was in the tribe of Judah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, because you give so much. You give so much that there's nothing that we really need. Um, and when I talk about need, Lord, I'm not talking about um, money for rent or mortgage or car payment or whatever it may be. But rather, Lord, you give us all, not all, all we need in our hearts spiritually. You give us those springs of water, and when you do that, Lord, it makes us desire only what you want. Lord, um, you choose our inheritance, not because you want to control us, but rather you choose it because you know what's good for us. I can't remember the last time, Lord, that I chose something for myself and I was satisfied. But you, Lord, you quench our thirst. You satisfy us, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we may run to you time and time again, Lord, because even though I did speak about the fellowship and the faith and the promises, Lord, Lord, all that's entailed in your love for us, Lord. And no matter how much we turn our back on you, Lord, you always receive us with open arms, Lord, because you are faithful, Lord. And you are good. You are a loving God, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you transform our hearts through that relationship with you, Lord. That our faith may be through the roof, Lord. And Lord, that we may just be such witnesses to the world, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.